Is this the dagger? Welcome inside the Legion of Sports. I'm Jake Anthony, along with Harrison Klein, and we've had a, I guess, weird few weeks um, with quarantine. Harrison was in quarantine last week, and now I'm in quarantine, so we actually haven't seen each other since about last Monday, the 12th. So, how how has your quarantine been, Harrison? I know you're out now. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, it, it got a bit lonely, but doing doing better now. I'm feeling better, COVID free, so I'm just happy to be out here. And you know, unfortunately. Uh, you have it now, but I hope you're doing well, and I know everyone out there does too. Yeah, I'm only on day two, so not as lonely as, as you were. I'm sure I'll get there. Yeah, you so, will. Harrison, what is your uh, top story of the week? Uh, so, my top story is the two uh, LCS Game 7s that we had in uh, baseball this week. And later we'll talk about the World Series, but right now I just want to talk about the ALCS and NLCS. First, Astros. Uh, the Rays actually blew a 3-0 lead, and the Astros tied it 3-3, sending it to Game 7. But Charlie Morton was great for the Rays in Game 7. He won his third career winner-take-all game, and he's really turned himself into a great postseason pitcher. And Randy Rosarena, who was the ALCS MVP, has really been unstoppable in the playoffs. 382 batting average, three home runs, 10 RBIs, and that sent the Rays to their first World Series since 2008. And then in the NLCS, the Dodgers and Braves also had a great Game 7, really one of the better baseball games I've seen in a while. Dodgers won it 4-3. to three. Cody Bellinger hit the game-winning home run that saved the Dodgers' season And the, as they came back from a 3-1 series deficit. And the Dodgers' bullpen was great in that game. Zero runs in the last six innings of that game after trailing early. And, you know, Mookie Betts has been great for them. Their, for their big trade in the offseason. And Corey Seager was phenomenal as he won the NLCS. This is the Dodgers' third World Series berth in the last four years. So he had those two games. And those series really are my, my top story of the week. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm not a huge baseball fan, but that NLCS, the Dodgers game was phenomenal. The Dodgers-Braves game was phenomenal to watch. You mentioned that it was a fantastic game. I mean, it was more than that. It was crazy back-and-forth game and really fun to watch. Yeah, so Jake, what's your top story of the week? So after months of, I guess you can call it, debating and talking amongst themselves, the Big Ten has decided that football is back. It's been in a Extremely unusual football season uh, throughout the NFL and the rest of college football, but the Big Ten has been one of the ones that have actually shied away from playing so far. So on August 11th, the presidents and chancellors decided to postpone all their fall sports, including football. Justin Fields created a petition to reinstate the Big Ten, uh, which caught traction very quickly. That was on August 16th. And then towards the end of August, there were eight Nebraska players that sued the Big Ten. And a large group of players, players' parents petitioned outside of the headquarters of the Big Ten, and they sent a letter to the conference. The chancellors and presidents were then forced to reconsider. And on September 16th, they announced that the season would return on uh, October 23rd and 24th, which is this weekend. So we have an Ohio State-Nebraska game on Saturday at noon. And it's going to be really interesting to see if this late start to the season is going to affect Ohio State and their playoff chances down the line. Yeah, I'm really excited for the Big Ten to be back after this. It's only the Pac-12, and I think they're coming back sometime in November. Um, uh, Michigan and Minnesota is also a big game. That's the only ranked matchup this week between two ranked teams, so that should be a good one. But, yeah, overall, really excited to to see Ohio State as they're thought to be one of the top contenders. And then Penn State's another team I'm really looking at that Kind of disappointed down the stretch last season. Had a tough loss against Minnesota that really hurt their playoff chances. So, yeah, Ohio State and Penn State definitely the two playoff favorites out of this conference. And I'm I'm just really excited to see Justin Fields and all these Big Ten stars that, you know, we haven't been able to see so far. Yeah, hopefully if they play either Penn State or Ohio State or even another Big Ten team, they play really well. Hopefully they're not penalized and miss a shot at the playoffs. We'll see how that works out. Yeah, so now we're going to move on to some big NFL news. And we talked about this last week, Jake. This was your top story, how Le'Veon Bell was released by the Jets, and now he has a new team with the Kansas City Chiefs. 
Jake, what are your what are your thoughts on this signing? It, I think he's going to fit this offense perfectly. Um, Andy Reid, we saw last week when they played the Bills, they really dominated on the ground. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire had 161 rushing yards, and Andy Reid doesn't typically stick to the run, but when he does, or I guess when he did, it doesn't normally happen, uh, it was really effective because it's hard to defend both the run and the pass when they're clicking on both high levels. Bell is going to have a great opportunity. He's not going to be the featured back or the starter, but he's going to have an opportunity to prove himself that he is better than his days in New York and better than that Jets offensive line let him play to be. And it's not often that a team, especially a team that's this good of a passing, that has this good of a passing attack, has two starting caliber running backs. So it's they're got even more dominant the Chiefs offense did, and they're playing really well right now and added in uh, a Pro Bowl caliber player. Yeah, I really like this move as well. And I think just if you're Le'Veon Bell and the Chiefs call you, I don't really know how you say no. Like anyone wa- would want to play in this offense. And you mentioned this week what they were able to do to the Bills. And we've seen a lot the last number of weeks, really since the Patriots came against the Chiefs, where teams are really just letting them have you know stuff in front of them. They just don't want to get de- beat deep for those 50, 60-yard touchdown passes. So, And the Chiefs are, are taking advantage of that. They ran over 200 yards this week. So, I, I mean, this is a really good signing. I think he's going to fit well. They said that he's going to be more of a complimentary piece to Edwards Alaire, so he'll be more third down, goal line, short distance, stuff like that. But I really expect him to regain his former self that he was in Pittsburgh. And, you know, most Adam Gase players, coach players, a- after they leave him, really are- turn into stars. So we'll see if he's able to do the same. So yeah. now we're going to move into another big storyline this week as Tua Tagovailoa has been announced as the new Miami Dolphins starter taking over for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Tua was the number I think five overall pick in this year's draft out of Alabama, and he'll take over again in week eight after the bye against the Rams. Jake, what are your thoughts on this? Well, it was very disappointing to see the end of Tua's college career with that devastating injury. Some thought it was a career-ending injury, obviously not. Um, I thought that if he wasn't injured, that he could potentially have won that Heisman, maybe even uh, beat LSU in that lethal offense that Joe Burrow was leading in the playoff. That would have been a matchup of the ages. Unfortunately, got hurt. We didn't even get to see Alabama perform in the playoff at all. But going into this Dolphins move, I think they've played this perfectly. They have a bye week coming up, and their next few matchups are going to be tough against the Rams, Cardinals, and Chargers, all teams with very good pass rush. But I think with the aid of Fitzpatrick uh, in terms of preparation and the extra week off for him to really settle in after getting a few snaps in that final drive last week, I think it'll be a good fit for him. He might struggle at first, but he'll he'll work it out eventually. Yeah, I think this is probably the right time to make the move because I think Fitzpatrick's been playing so well. You you don't really want to wait for him to, you know, stop playing well. So I think this doing it into a bye week, you know, obviously the Rams have a tough defensive line, Aaron Donald, that'll be tough. But, you know, you've seen Joe Burrow, you've seen Justin Herbert, the other two first round quarterbacks that are actually playing besides Jordan Love. And they've both done very well so far, especially for rookie quarterbacks. So at some point, you just got to see what Tua does. And I think Fitzpatrick is a great guy to sit behind. You know, Fitzpatrick put out a long statement saying how he wants to pay it forward and teach young quarterbacks. And he really, you know, takes over. And he really – he just wants to help out Tua, and he wants the best for them. And I'm also very happy for Tua because we all saw the injury last year, and it, it really could have been career-ending. And he did, did a great job coming back for them. So just happy for him, and I'm excited to see him play in the NFL and really get an opportunity. Yeah, you mentioned Ryan Fitzpatrick's statement, and a lot of people say that, but he's one of those guys that really means it. He's bounced around the league. He's had that backup role numerous times, so he's really the right guy to sit behind, or to now sit behind him and to really mentor to along the way. Yeah, exactly, and Fitzpatrick, I mean, it's so fun to watch him. Hopefully, he can still get another shot somewhere, maybe teach another top pick next year or something like that, because this guy's just so much fun to watch, and he's just a joy for the NFL. Yeah, I definitely agree. So let's move into our first game of the week. So what did you see from the Packers and Buccaneers? This game was a lot more lopsided than I would have imagined going into it, but what did you see from this matchup? Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I think – I don't know about you, Jake, but I definitely expected the Packers to win this game. And when they were up 10 nothing after the first quarter, they were in total control. It looked like they were on their way to a blowout. And then all of a sudden, Aaron Rodgers has a pick six, changes the game. And then I think his next pass, he threw another interception interception return to the two-yard line. Bucks scored on the next drive, and they ended up scoring 38 unanswered to win. And I just think it really shows how good this Buccaneers defense is. We've been talking about how good this Packers offense has been 
really as good as Aaron Rodgers has looked the last number of years. And he had a brutal game. He only had 160 yards, completed 16 of 35 passes, and he threw two interceptions. And that's with Devontae Adams back. So, I mean, I think it's just a testament to how good this Buccaneers defense is. And I think if this team is able to go far in the playoffs, it'll be on the back of this defense. Yeah, I think for me, uh, these teams can, in terms of the AFC, they can really perform like differently any given game. If Tampa Bay's pass rush wasn't the same, and this outcome of the game could have been completely different. You mentioned the two interceptions; those were totally costly, and especially after that first quarter lead, the Buccaneers outscored the Packers in the first and or in the second and third quarter, thirty-eight to nothing. And that ended up being the final score was 38 to 10. So after that first quarter, the Packers were shut out. And to me, I mean, yes, we probably overrated the Packers a little bit because they haven't, they've had a relatively easy schedule so far, but they did lose to a five and 12 Chargers team last year, which is much better than this Buccaneers team. So they have had some tough losses or some rough losses in their past uh, and still been successful and had a deep playoff run. But for me, I mean, Aaron Rodgers, he had a 35.4 passer rating. That's his third lowest of, of his career and his lowest passer rating since 2014. That is not very good. He didn't get much help from the running game at all as uh, Aaron Jones had only 25 yards on 10 carries. And so, I don't know, this team really struggled. You mentioned the Buccaneers defense, and it really speaks to their defensive, like their mindset and how they go out and, Obviously, the pass rush was a huge deal, but it was a really disappointing game for the Packers, in my opinion. Yeah, and I don't want to really totally overreact to one game, but this really did concern me with the Packers, and you talked about it. Did we overrate this team? They beat the Saints, which, I mean, I think is an impressive win. I'm still not totally convinced with the Saints yet this season either, but their other three wins are against the Vikings, who have won win, the Falcons, who have won win, and the Lions, who either have won one or two wins. So really just not many impressive wins, and I still think they're going to finish with a great record. They're going to make the playoffs be a top three seed probably, but, you know, come playoff time, I'm not going to have as much confidence in this team as I did going into this week come playoff time. And then another thing is I really think that when we look back on this Buccaneers team, if they make it to the NFC Championship and even to the Super Bowl, I think that pick six is really going to be what stands out is what turned around this season because, I mean, we talked about it last week. This Buccaneers team has not been as good as we thought they would be. And after that pick six, they scored 38 unanswered points. So, you know, could that be what turns the season around for the Buccaneers? It might be. And I think that'll be something to watch as we go along. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really think about that, but it definitely turned this game around. and It was the turning point of the game but it could be the turning point of their season if it turns out to be a deep playoff run for the Buccaneers. Uh, For the Buccaneers offense, I mean, they looked okay. It wasn't anything. Obviously, they put up 38 points, or I guess 31, minus the pick six, but it wasn't anything incredible. It was consistent offense. Uh, Obviously, Rob Gronkowski had a really nice game. Not confident that that would continue. They didn't turn the ball over, and they did create two turnovers on the defensive side of the ball. So, I mean, they had a solid game, but it wasn't anything too impressive for me. Obviously, they dominated a Packers team that I was very high on, but it was more about how bad the Packers looked, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think the thing about this offense is that they definitely haven't been all that we thought they would be with all these weapons, getting Tom Brady, stuff like that. But I think that with how good this defense is, they don't need to play a perfect game on offense and anywhere near that. I mean, you talked about it. They didn't look great on offense. They still had 38 points because their defense created good opportunities for them. So I think if their defense keeps playing as well as it does, we don't need to see their offense be that dominant. And the thing is, I still think their offense can be dominant. It's only been six weeks of this new team, and they've dealt with injuries. If this team gets to full strength by week 13 or 14 and really rounds into form before the playoffs, this is going to be a really scary team. Yeah, Mike Evans only had two targets and one catch. And Brady spread the ball around. He found eight different receivers. So there is a lot of potential in this offense. I think that you're right where if they get healthy and they can get that chemistry together. I mean, with all of these teams, we have to remember there was no OTAs. There was no preseason games. Really no time to, especially for a guy like Tom Brady, who just came into a new system, completely new team. It was hard for these guys to mesh without actually being on the field together. So we'll see how they work it out down the road. They're 4-2 and and in a great spot. So I – I'm not sold on them as a contender, but I definitely think they're going to be a playoff team and potentially make a run. Yeah, I definitely think this was a big step in the right direction for them. So now we'll move on to another game this week that also definitely did not live up to the hype. The Browns and the Steelers played in Pittsburgh, and the Steelers won 38-7. Jake, what are your your thoughts on this game? 
outside of Kansas City, maybe Baltimore, because I'm not sure. I can't really put that together yet. I think Pittsburgh is my team to beat in the AFC. This game uh, against Tennessee next week is huge, and uh, this argument that I'm making right now isn't going to be valid if they do lose to Tennessee. But I think this defense is incredible, and their offense looks like it has the right pieces to complement Big Ben enough to be successful. They're successful on the ground. They have some wide receivers. I mean, Chase Claypool, if I would have said that he would have been one of their leading receivers going into the year, then you would have been like, who is that? That's the idea. This team has been very successful with some guys that really came out of nowhere. And their point differential on average this year is 12.4. The only team that's better than them is the Ravens at 12.5. So when they beat teams, they're, they're beating teams down. They're really dominating them. And, uh, I just there was a really bad performance by the Browns, but it was really impressive for the Steelers. I thought it was going to be a win by the Steelers. I thought it was going to be a little bit closer, though. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is this Steelers defense is ridiculously good. And, I mean, they had four sacks at Baker Mayfield. The Browns were only one of 13 on third down. They turned the ball over twice, and the Browns only had 220 total yards of offense. And the Steelers defense has been doing it all year. They're third in points allowed, second in yards allowed. And the thing is, the offense wasn't great. The rushing attack was pretty good. The passing attack wasn't that good. But this, like the Buccaneers, they put up 38 points. So it doesn't really matter when you have that good of a defense. But I think another takeaway for me is I really just don't trust Baker Mayfield. And, you know, Jake, me and you have talked about it off air. How I'm not the biggest Baker Mayfield fan. I think he's still a little bit overrated. And I think this week showed it. When they need him to step up and come back against these good defenses, he just doesn't have the ability to do that. I think he's a solid quarterback but I just don't think he's a guy that can really elevate your team too much. Yeah, uh, I feel like the Browns are on this cycle where they, they underperform against a team that they need to show up and win against, and then they get all this attention and criticism, and then they go out and they beat a team that they should beat, and then they look good against. So it's very weird for me. I know they sit at 4-2, and two and they have a good shot at the playoffs, but yeah, I agree. The inconsistency for me, it, it's not looking good for Baker Mayfield. He is. A competent quarterback. He's not good by any standards. He's, I would say, right around average, maybe slightly above average. I think the loss of Nick Chubb really hurt this offense. Kareem Hunt averaged 3.1 yards per carry, and I just think they really missed him. He's a downhill in between the tackles back. That's Nick Chubb, and Kareem Hunt isn't necessarily that, and they're asking him to do that. He only had 40 yards rushing. Uh, I think that they'll skid by and I think they have a decent shot to make the playoffs, especially with this expanded format. But I am glad that I'm not a Browns fan because this is definitely an emotional roller coaster for them. Yeah, I think the biggest concern for me is that lack of rushing attack where we've talked about how that is their their bread and butter. That's how they win games. And they were only able to muster up 75 rushing yards and average 3.4 yards for carry. So that's a big concern. And, you know, I do think they definitely have a good shot to make the playoffs. The thing is, they still have to play the Steelers and the Ravens one more time. And they've scored a total of 13 points against those teams and let up thirty point, over 30 points in each of those games. Besides that, they've looked really good. But if they can't beat teams within their division outside the Bengals, I really just don't know how much confidence I can have this team to actually do anything if they make it to the, play, to the playoffs. Yeah, you mentioned a lack of rushing attack. And, uh, I mean, the Steelers just went out there and they took away the rushing attack. It forced Baker Mayfield to beat them, and clearly he didn't. He struggled. He, I mean, his QBR was 5.5. That's, that's really sad. That's, that's awful. Yeah. I mean, that's for a number one overall pick. You, you don't expect that. And I mean, Stephen A. Smith was, was yelling that Odell and Jarvis Landry need to demand trades. I don't think that we need to go that far yet, but they definitely are like, uh, they're, they're not reaping the benefits of having a good quarterback. That's for sure. So, I mean, we'll see how this Browns team works out, but it's not looking good for them so far. Yeah, and I think just one more thing before uh, we move on to the next game is that Devin Bush, the, the Steelers' starting middle linebacker, yeah. who's in his second season, tore his ACL. So we'll see if the Steelers' defense is able to recover after that. But that's definitely a big loss to keep your eye on. Yeah, so uh, let's so- move on to the uh, Chiefs and Bills game. The, uh, one that you were really looking forward to. thought you can maybe prove me wrong. Um, you, you did in the first four weeks of the season. But, um, yeah, what, what did you see from this game? Well, I know you want to talk about Josh Allen, so I guess I'll start. And, you know, I'll admit it. I'll admit when I'm wrong. Josh Allen looked pretty awful this week. It's the second straight game that he's looked really bad. 
you know, there was rain, but that's not really a good excuse. It wasn't like it was a downpour monsoon. And, you know, he was just missing wide open guys throughout the game. And, you know, I talked about when I was really high on Josh Allen after a few weeks, how he really looked like he took that step forward. And these last two weeks, he looked like 2019 Josh Allen, where he was missing open guys, not as accurate, didn't look as good and confident in that offense. And, you know, it's, re- it's definitely a concern for me. They play the Jets this week. So, you know, hopefully he can turn, he should be able to turn it around, but yeah, I mean, bad performances against two of the best teams in the league and the, in the Titans and the chiefs definitely concerned me for this offense and Josh Allen. Yeah. He should definitely be able to turn it around and that should be a confidence booster for him against the jets. But yeah, he didn't look great. The, the problem with him um, or the actually downgrade, I guess, in terms of scouting for him coming out of college was the accuracy. He had the arm strength. He had all the other tools. He has the speed, but the accuracy is really what's hurt him so far in his career and what hurt him the, on Monday night. He started the game, or they started the game with a three and out, and then they got a single first down on the next drive. And after that, he was one for seven to start the game. That is just not very good. He recovered from there. His box score didn't look awful. He finished with 122 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. Uh, not a great game, but also not horrible. He just wasn't able to beat this Chiefs team. Um, it was just a terrific game plan for Andy Reid and the Chiefs. I mentioned it earlier how they ran the ball. They played the game plan that the Bills were trying to do, which is run the ball, keep it out of Patrick Mahomes' hand. Well, they did the same thing, and they kept it out of the Bills' offense's hands. But they also had Patrick Mahomes as their quarterback on the field at during that lethal rushing attack. So they really played that out perfectly. Normally that's not what you see from Andy Reid led team, let alone with Patrick Mahomes. So it's going to be interesting how they add that to their arsenal going forward. But it was a a letdown for me in terms of Josh Allen, because as much as I do want to be right, I also am rooting for him because he is in the Patriots division. So anything that could beat the Patriots is a win for me. Um, But yeah, it it was a, a letdown game for Josh Allen and the Bills. Yeah, and I think another concern for the Bills, and we've talked about this, is their lack of rushing attack. And we've seen the last few years that while Josh Allen was starting to become a better quarterback, that their rushing attack has been their primary you know, source of offense, but only 84 rushing yards this game. And it's still a big worry of mine. And that's one of the reasons I really said on the podcast last week that I wanted them to sign Le'Veon Bell. And kind of ironic that the team that Le'Veon Bell is signing with just put up 245 rushing yards uh, and averaged 5.3 yeah. yards per carry. So, I mean, just two offenses going in different directions. And you know, we talked about how a lot of these teams are playing the Chiefs where they just don't want to get beat deep. And then they go and, you know, the Chiefs say, OK, fine, you can stop our our deep passing attack. We'll run it down your throat, 245 yards. So, I mean, it just shows how good this Chiefs team is and how hard they are to beat, because if you take away one aspect of their game, they can beat you in five other ways. So I, I this really shows how good this team is. And, you know, that Raiders loss doesn't really concern me anymore because I, it didn't really concern me at the time. But. I mean, now I know this team's back on track and, you know, they figured out how to beat these teams that are playing soft against them and, you know, just playing back and saying, keep everything in front of them because now they know that they can just run it down their throats. Plus they're getting Le'Veon Bell. So this, this offense is going to be even harder to stop now. Yeah. There's, there's one, it's one thing when you have all the right pieces and you have this great quarterback in Patrick Mahomes, you have all these weapons, but it's Andy Reid for me. He is a mastermind and a genius. That game plan that he put out there, I mean, watching him run the ball three downs in a row and just getting first downs, and he knew that they weren't going to stop him. He knew that they, like, weren't going to slow down the rushing yards. They averaged 5.3 yards per carry. So you run it on first down, you get five yards. You run it on second down, it's almost a first down, if not a first down already. And then you just keep doing that. Once they sell out on the run, you throw a pass. And it, it was just a genius game plan, something it sounds so simple, but yet most teams don't think about it like that. Uh, especially the Dallas Cowboys. I'm not going to talk about that quite yet. Um, but, yeah, we have to keep in mind this game was 23-10 to 10 within three minutes left in the game. So even though it looks like a close game, it looks like a nine-point game, it really wasn't that close until the very end. So it, uh, I think the Bills will recover, especially next week against the Jets. But it, it was a letdown for me. Yeah, and I think that's a good point you made at the end where this game really never felt like the Chief, where the Bills had a shot, even though it was 23-10. to 10. And that's just because the Chiefs had the ball for so long. I think it was 38 of the 60 minutes they controlled the ball. So by them running it that much, they just had the ball the whole time, didn't let the Bills ever get into a rhythm on offense. And I Yeah, mean, 38. And you mentioned it. You had a good point where I think that once these teams really do try and stop the run again for the Chiefs, that's just when they're going to take their deep shot to Tyree Killer, or Hardman, or whoever it is. So 
you know, it's pretty much pick your poison against this team, and I really don't know how many teams are going to be able to stop them this year. And their defense is playing better than I thought. I mean, they're not yeah. an elite unit by any means, but they're playing a lot better than I expected. Exactly. And, I mean, when you have this good of an offense, you don't need that good of a defense. But, I mean, their yeah, defense yeah. has definitely stepped up and has been better than we expected. Yeah, so let's move on to one of the next games. This was such a fun game to watch. Uh, I was rooting for the Texans because they have a worse record. And as a Colts fan, you know, need to see the worst team in the division win. But this was an overtime thriller, the Titans and the Texans. So what did you take away from this one? My two biggest takeaways are Ryan Tannehill is definitely not a fluke and that he honestly might be a possible MVP candidate with how well he played this game and how well he's looked this year. And also that Derrick Henry is a freak of nature. He had 212 rushing yards, two touchdowns, nine point. He averaged 9.4 yards per carry, which is almost unheard of. And he also had a 94-yard rushing touchdown. He had a 52-yard reception that set up the game-winning touchdown drive. He also had the game-winning touchdown. People just can't tackle this guy. And honestly, at this point, he might be my new favorite for Offensive Player of the Year because this guy is so ridiculously good. And I feel like the last few years, he really hasn't turned it on until November, December, the last number of weeks. But, I mean, this year he's done it from the get-go, and he's been ridiculous once again, and he, he just looks as good as ever right now. Yeah, I know he had a 94-yard run, but when you have a 200-yard rushing game, it you, you shouldn't get the ball less than 22 times. Like, he got the ball 22 times. This should be a 30-45 to 45 carry game. It shouldn't be a 22-carry game. That doesn't add up to me. Uh, obviously, that just speaks to how impressive he was and how good he was, but this game, I mean, was, was so impressive. And you mentioned him potentially being an Offensive Player of the Year candidate. I agree. And I know this doesn't speak to just this year, but uh, he is. there's been six 200-yard rushing games in the past three years, and Derrick Henry is responsible for half of them. He's responsible for three. Ridiculous. So that, I mean, that's absurd. No, nobody should be responsible for half of the 200-yard rushing games. And then uh, he is the first player to rush for 200 rushing, 200 yards in a single game, three seasons in a row. So, I mean, that's not normal. doesn't even sound realistic, but it, it is the truth and the fact. And that's just how impressive he has been. Yeah, and, I mean, you mentioned he only had 22 rushes. And I think a big reason why he only had that many, which is still a lot, but you said 30-35, and I agree. But it's because Ryan Tannehill was that good this game. He had 364 yards, four touchdowns. He had 122 passer rating. And I looked up his stats since joining the, t- the Titans in 15 games, which is almost a full season. He has 4,100 passing yards, 35 touchdowns, eight interceptions, 116 passer rating. He's completed 70% of his passes, and he has a 12-3 and record. And, you know, this goes to show, again, once these guys leave Adam Gase's system, they turn into stars, and we're finally seeing Ryan Tannehill's true, you know, um, true potential. And he's been phenomenal this year. He, he was great last year leading them to the playoffs. And this Titans team is really, really good. They're undefeated. You mentioned they have a big game against the Steelers this week. They put up 600 yards of offense this week. So seeing this offense with Tannehill and Derrick Henry against that Steelers defense is really going to be a great matchup to watch. Yeah, I agree with Tannehill. I mean, you kind of forget that he doesn't even have a, a full season under his belt yet with this Titans team. And it's it's really fun to watch because he is taking that underdog mentality and he's not expected to be this good, but... 350-plus yards of passing is, is really absurd. But I want to talk about the actual game itself. And there was uh, 10 seconds differential in uh, time of possession and four different touchdowns in the final nine minutes, which does not include overtime. This was an incredible game. I think the Texans really stepped up their game without Bill O'Brien. I don't think he had that much to do with it, but every time you make a coaching change, the players always play better and are extra motivated. Uh, I didn't like Romeo Cornell's philosophy at the end of the game. They kicked an extra point when they were up by eight. Or, I'm sorry, they could have kicked an extra point when they were up by seven to make it eight. And instead, they went for two, trying to make it nine and put the game away. Obviously, the game's over if it's nine. It's a two-score game. But instead, they failed the two-point conversion, and the Titans went down, scored a touchdown, kicked the extra point overtime. So if you would have, if you're the Texans and you would have kicked the extra point, then you either win the game or go to overtime regardless. I think that, like, I understand some of the fourth down calls that some of these coaches make where it's we're, we're winning and that's the mentality that we have. And I do understand that they were one and four at the time, but it didn't make a lot of sense to me. I'm not going to lie, Jake. I, I disagree with you here. I, I love what Romeo Cornell did. I think that this is such a high scoring game and you know that the Titans are, there's a very good chance that they're going to score and potentially tie this game going for two 
and getting it isn't as hard as as many people think it is. You're you're trying to get two yards from the two yard line. Obviously, it's hard, but I think that if you kick the extra point there, you're playing to lose. And you know, worst case scenario, if you go for two and don't get it, you send it to overtime. And I mean, obviously, that's what happened. But I mean, I think that you're playing to lose if you kick that extra point. So I love him going for two and really trying to win this game. And then, I mean, also speaking of coaching decisions, Mike Vrabel had one of the savviest coaches coaching moves I've ever seen. With about four minutes left and down by one, the Texans were driving in Titans territory. He intentionally sent a player on the field to be the 12th man on defense and get a flag and a penalty. Basically what this did to stop the clock, which at this point was just more important than the yards that the Titans were giving up because they could tell that the Texans were going to score again. This ended up saving 40 seconds of game clock, and the Titans ended up tying the game and sending it to overtime with four seconds left. So it basically saved the game for them and, and ended up being the reason that they ended up were able to win it. So, I mean, if you haven't seen this, go go look up this video because it's really impressive by Brable. And, I mean, yeah, I just think it's really impressive by him. Well, he comes from the uh, Bill Belichick coaching tree. So, I'm sure he was either taught that in practice or um, as a player when he played under Belichick. But, yeah, that's really impressive. I did not notice that when I was watching the game. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I guess I get your point where you want to have the ball in the offense's hands or in your quarterback's hands instead of on the defense's hands. But the way it worked out, and uh, I don't know, it's just tough for me to watch Deshaun Watson scramble around there and not have anybody to go to. Maybe if it was a better play call or something and it would have worked, then, yeah, I'm praising him right now. But he also didn't touch the ball after that, which I guess speaks to the NFL's overtime rules. But at the same time, it, it, it's just how the game worked out. Yeah, but the thing is that even if they kick that extra point, there's a chance that he doesn't touch the ball either and that they just go to overtime. So. I mean, I'd rather just try and go for the win and then risk it going to overtime than basically guaranteeing if they score, they go to overtime. And I just think in this analytic age that that gives you a much higher percentage chance to win than just kicking the extra point. And I think that and we're seeing a lot of a lot of coaches in the in the NFL look at these analytics and that really would have improved their chances to win and basically guaranteed it for them. Yeah, yeah, I can see that. All right, so let's uh, move on to our final game of the week. Um, we've got the Rams and the 49ers. This was also another game which just didn't have the outcome that we both expected. So uh, what was your takeaway from this one? I think my biggest takeaway is the 49ers, I just really don't know what we're getting out of them this year. Last week they get destroyed by the Dolphins, and then this week they go out and beat the Rams, who we thought were a pretty good team. And Jimmy Garoppolo actually played pretty well, 268 yards, three touchdowns. But the defense had a really good game which we've expected out of them, except they've been really banged up this year. But they looked like the 49ers defense of last year, holding a good Rams offense to only 16 points. And then I think another takeaway is I don't really think the Rams are a very good team. They're they're four and two, but all four of their wins are against the NFC East, who having combined, I think, four five wins total between those four teams. And they're 0-2 against the Bills and 49ers, the only teams that they haven't played in the NFC East. So, I mean, I think my takeaways are the 49ers are, I don't really know what they are, and I don't really think the Rams are that good. Yeah, obviously last week against the Dolphins, when the 49ers got destroyed, I did not expect them to come back and play this well against the Rams. But uh, I don't know. This Rams team is very up and down. You mentioned how all of their wins are against the NFC East, and I think that's a very good point. Uh, admittedly, I kind of started to believe in them once they reached 4-1, and one, um, and then obviously they lost this week. But you we were both kind of praising yeah. them, honestly, in the previous few weeks. But then looking back at their schedule, it was a weak schedule. And even though the 49ers are – or actually just speaks to the game, the fact that they were undermanned and uh, their horrible performance last week against the Dolphins, I just think that this is a disappointing game for the Rams. And uh, I don't know. I mean, they ran the ball pretty well at about 115 yards. Uh, not anything too impressive. And then Jared Goff had 200 yards passing. So kind of average offensive stats. They only put up 16 points, which you mentioned. Uh, not a great offensive game. Not anything horrible. I think they can recover, potentially make the playoffs. It just depends on if they can step it up a notch or not because clearly they haven't played the best teams. But uh, without a great defensive unit, you need more than 16 points to win an NFL game. Yeah, and I think the biggest issue is their passing attack. You mentioned Jared Goff only 200 passing yards. And – you know, this rushing attack is definitely better than it was last year with a banged-up Todd Gurley. And, you know, you mentioned they had 115 rushing yards, which is fine, and it's been better in a lot of their games this year. But, I mean, I think the biggest thing for them in 2018 was they had a very good rushing attack, 
they also had a great passing attack and it, it wasn't really expected what or they could they had good balance this year you kind of know that if you try and stop the run they're not going to get as much in the passing game because they're just not as talented and I think that's the biggest issue for this team and I don't know if it's Jared Goff if he's the issue if they're missing you know another good wide receiver because I think Cooper Cup and Robert Woods are fine but I don't really think they have a true star number one receiver maybe that's what they're missing but something's just off with this offense and yeah I mean you're right we definitely both praise these guys and I was really high on them going into this week but Looking back at it, looking at their record and who they've beaten, I'm really not as impressed with the, what the Rams have done this season. Yeah, and I was just looking at their uh, stats, and I kind of just assumed that it was their rushing attack that was down. And that kind of hurt them. But they this year they're 10th in yards per game in rush in terms of rushing. And then last year they were actually 26th. So I, I just assumed, you know, Jared Goff was – playing off the play action, their run, run, rushing game was doing very well last year, and that that's where the success came. But I guess, uh, I mean, I can't figure it out either. I can't pinpoint their problem. Obviously, Sean McVay has some stuff to figure out in the coming weeks, and uh, it's going to be very interesting to see because they have had their easy part of the schedule. They have the, the Bears. I guess you can count the Dolphins as an easy game. Then Seattle, Buccaneers, 49ers again. So they have a, a rough, relatively rough stretch coming up, and they're going to have to figure that out before then. Yeah, I think this upcoming stretch for them is going to be where we really find out what this team truly is. Uh, so, I mean, we talked about they've only beaten the NFC East so far, and now we're just going to talk overall about the NFC East and how bad of a division this is. Uh, before, Jake, uh, so the records are the Cowboys are 2-4 and four in first place at 2-4. and four. The Eagles are 1-4-1. and one. The Giants and Washington football team are both 1-5. and five. So, obviously, this is a brutal division. Jake, what are your thoughts on this? I wish I could see my face right now because I'm just shaking <laughs> my head in disgust. This is not a – I mean, the NFC's West – the NFC West last place team would be leading the NFC East. At 3-3, at three and three, the 49ers are, would be leading the NFC East if they were put in that division. So, this division is historically bad. Uh, and realistically, I mean, I hope it doesn't come down to this, but we could have a winner, a divisional winner, with six or seven wins, and they can make the playoffs. So, obviously, somebody has to win this game. I would have taken the Cowboys if we were talking about this last week. I'm sure we talked about it two weeks ago, and I did take the Cowboys, uh, but they got their butts handed to them on primetime television uh, to a Cardinals team that I'm high on, but they're probably not as good as I, I think they are. And then the locker room drama in Dallas is, is also not a good thing. And I guess I'll take the Eagles now. I don't, I'm not confident in that at all. You can just hear it in my voice. They play the Giants this week, and it's going to be very interesting to watch them this week. They, they have a losing record at home. They're 0-2-1. They play the Giants at home this week. And Carson Wentz doesn't look like his old self. I think he might get there once they get healthy, but this division is sad to watch. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I've been flip flip-flopping between the Cowboys and the Eagles so far, and the Cowboys laid an absolute egg on Monday Night Football looking awful. And, I mean, I think that they will be better than they were last week. Uh, Andy Dalton has never been good in primetime. So, I mean, we'll see if he's able to right the ship this week. But, I mean, I am concerned with the Cowboys players speaking out, as you mentioned, against their coaching staff. There were reports that they just said that the coaches are underprepared. They don't know how to game plan. And I think that's really concerning, seeing players turn on their coaches like that. So, I mean, maybe I'm going to take the Eagles right now to, to win. I mean, I've changed my mind. I feel like every week Wentz has played better lately, and, you know, some targets have started to emerge, but they really need to get healthy before they have any chance. And I think my hot take a few weeks ago was that the winner of this division would be under 500, and I feel more and more confident about that each, each week because this is truly a terrible division. And, I mean, the fact that the Giants and Washington football team are 1-5 and five, and their one game out of the division is just really sad. Yeah, if you, obviously you said it a few weeks ago, so it was a, like definitely a hot take, like 100%. But if you were to say that now, I would just kind of laugh at you. Like, yes, they're going to finish under 500 for sure. Like, it's guaranteed. Um, you mentioned how they're 1-5, and five and <laughs> they're literally in the mix of everything. If the Giants win on Thursday night, which is tomorrow, and you guys will – know the results of that game before the pod or after the podcast is released or I'm sorry, before the podcast is released, uh, they could be in first place or tied for first place. So it's very tough to watch. And I don't think that the, the giants or the Washington football team are good enough. I think the Cowboys are the best team on paper, but we've talked about their turmoil in the locker room. So it's going to be an ugly race, but at the same time, those are some of the best races to watch just because 
all the teams are crippling the finish line, kind of what we saw last yeah, year. Yeah, it's ugly, but it should be a fun one. So now we'll move over to our hot takes of the week. Uh, Jake, you want to start? Yes, yeah, so you're going to like mine. I uh, I don't know. This is kind of a far-fetched hot take. Um, but my hot take of the week is that the Bengals will beat the Browns Ooh. this week. Last week, um, the uh, – I'm sorry, not last week. In their matchup in week two, the this was at – Cleveland instead of this one is in Cincinnati. Cincinnati. Um, it was 35 to 30. I know that the Bengals scored a garbage time touchdown, but the Browns just came off an embarrassing loss, which makes me think they're going to play really well. But I think the Bengals are going to match that. I think that if the Bengals can figure out how to limit their pressure, because Joe Burrow was sacked three times for 31 yards last time. And, uh, if they create pressure on Baker Mayfield on the other side of the ball, which they weren't able to get to him at all, then I think that's a really good formula for success for them. Another thing is the absence of uh, Nick Chubb. We talked about that earlier against their about their game against the Steelers, where they're just they don't have the same rushing attack. And when the Browns and the Bengals played the first time, Chubb had 124 yards, two touchdowns, and almost six yards per carry. I don't think Kareem Hunt will replicate that or Dearness Johnson or anybody else in that backfield. So I think the Bengals can establish a running game and then use play action and free up Joe Burrow, ease up that pass rush, and they can establish a pass rush of their own, which is easier said than done, I know. And I think that they can upset the Browns. You know, I do like this hot take, Jake. I'm, I'm obviously a Bengals fan, and, you know, I want to think that they can beat the Browns this week, but you know I'm going to bring up something that you will now be happy about. The Bengals blew a 21 nothing lead against the Colts this week, and I mean that's a whole other issue. But I just don't trust this Bengals coaching staff to do anything right now. Zach Taylor, I honestly do not think he is the right head coach for this team. Their defensive coordinator, I think, is atrocious, Luana Rumo. I think you know you mentioned that they do need a pass rush. They've had zero pass rush this year. I don't know what they're doing. They're benching Carlos Dunlap and Geno Atkins, and I mean I can go on and on about this team, but. I, I do think that the absence of Nick Chubb is a key to this game because last time these two teams played in week two, I don't remember what the exact number was, but the Browns had something like 200 rushing yards. It was ridiculous and just so frustrating to watch. So I think that is a key. I do think the offensive line for the Bengals has been playing better. They only let up one or two sacks last week, and I think one of them was Joe Burrow's fault. So, you know, they've definitely been playing better. If they can get Joe Mixon going, that'd be big. But I mean, I, I want to think this can come true. I, I, I'll obviously be rooting for it. I just don't know if I can trust this. It's more so the coaching staff I don't trust than this team because I think the team has the pieces to beat a team like the Browns, and I think they're definitely on the rise, but I don't know if this coaching staff is there to do the job. Yeah, another, another thing for me real quick is that Joe Burrow can't throw the ball 61 times. That's what he did last game against the Browns if they're going to win. They have to establish that running game. Once again, easier said than done. We'll see if it happens, and if they can get off to a hot start on the ground, then I think they'll be successful and really have a good game plan, but it's all about that offensive line and how they play. Yeah, so now I'll move over on to my hot take of the week, and we're going to stay in the AFC North. I don't know if this is truly a hot take, but I'm just going to go with it. I think that the Steelers are the best team in the AFC North, and I don't really think it's close right now. They're 5-0, and and we talked about earlier how good they looked against the Browns. They've looked great in every single game. Jake, you mentioned their average margin of victory was like 12 and a half points or something like that. That is ridiculous. They have three sacks and one interception in every single game so far, which is also really, really good. And their offense has been pretty good. Big Ben, he's not elite anymore, I don't think, but I think I still think he's a solid starting quarterback. They have a good rushing attack with obviously a good offensive line as they've had forever, it feels like. And I think another part of this is I don't really trust the Ravens. The passing game hasn't been anywhere near as good as it was last year. And even the rushing attack isn't as good as it was. It's still pretty good, but, I mean, I, it's, it's very good, actually. But it's just not the same as it was last year. And I think without that threat of a really good passing game, teams are able to do a better job against the run. And I know they only have one loss, but that loss is against the only good team they played in the Chiefs. And I guess the Browns, but, I mean, we don't really know about the Browns. But they looked awful against the Chiefs. And I know it's the Chiefs, but I really just don't trust this Ravens team yet. And – I, I mean, all in all, I really think the Steelers are tremendous. I think the Ravens are very good. I think they'll finish with a 12-4, and 11-5 and five record, something like that, because they don't have the toughest schedule. But, uh, I mean, I really think the Steelers team is great, and I think that they're a better team than the Ravens. Yeah, I'm torn here because the Steelers are letting up the second lowest rushing yards per game. Um, 
And the Ravens have a very weak schedule, as you mentioned. Their only quality win, and I'm not even going to – I'm going to put that as an asterisk, would be against the Browns in week one. Um, so it, it's very hard for me uh, – I don't know. I think the, the Ravens are a better team on paper, but they're not playing as good right now. You mentioned the defense of the Steelers. They're playing phenomenal. And obviously we'll get the answer to this on, like, next month, the beginning of next yeah, month. Yeah, week eight they play when each other. They play. Yeah. And that's going to be a very good game. Hopefully it should be close. But I I don't know. It's hard for me to decide right now. If I had to go and, and say who was the better team, I'd probably agree with you and say the Steelers just because of how the Ravens are playing right now. They haven't truly been tested at all. And the key for the Ravens, every time that they've won or every time that they do win, to get out to these big leads, run the ball, and then use Lamar Jackson as a passer out of that. We saw in the Chiefs game when they struggled to run the ball, he wasn't an effective passer at all, and they were able to take away his options. And the Steelers had the second-best running uh, second best running defense in the league, right behind the Bucks, and the second-lowest behind that allows 22 yards per game more. So they're the second-best by a large margin, and I think that if they can take away the rushing game against these Ravens, then it's going to make it very difficult for them. So, I mean, it, it's hard for me to decide, but I'd have to go with the Steelers as well. Yeah, and I think one more point about the Ravens is I think they, they're similar to the Packers where I think they'll have a great record. They'll beat up on the bad teams pretty good. But when they play those top-tier teams, I just don't trust them as much right now until they really beat one. And, I mean, in the playoffs, we've seen Lamar Jackson has never is 0-2. His rookie year, I don't really take into account, but they didn't beat the Titans last year, and he just looked really bad. So, I mean, I think teams are starting to figure it out, and he just hasn't looked as good throwing the ball this year. But, yeah, I mean, I just think this this Steelers defense is as legit as a defense as I've ever seen. I do think that the Devin Bush injury will hurt them when they play a team like the Ravens because he's a big part of stopping Lamar Jackson with his sideline-to-sideline speed. So week eight, we'll see if that's next week. And, you know, that should be a great game and one that I'm really looking forward to. Well, you mentioned that that injury, but, I mean, they have key players on every level of defense, and that's not something you normally see. That's also something we saw the 49ers defense of last year where you have great defensive linemen, great linebackers. Obviously, they're going to miss Devin Bush, but they also have other linebackers that are very good. And they have a phenomenal secondary, probably one of the best in the league, if not the best in the league. Minka Fitzpatrick is phenomenal. Some of those other pieces that they have, they're just playing really good right now. And, yeah, I mean, it's going to be really fun to watch, especially if Ben Roethlisberger can carry that offense just enough to – win some games yes yeah, so now we're going to move over to baseball we're going to talk about the world series so as usual we're recording this on wednesday we game one was last night so we can talk about that real quick game two is tonight so you guys will know the results of that uh so jake you want to talk about game one real quick and your thoughts yeah this was it wasn't a very close game i mean it started that way uh in the first few innings but um the dodgers bats just got the best of glass now and he's a really good pitcher he obviously Performed very well against the Yankees last eh, round. Sorry, eh. I hate to bring that up. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just this Dodgers lineup. The the hitting of the Dodgers is phenomenal. They they had uh, eight total RBIs, ten total hits, and I believe at least one home run, maybe even the second one. So Kershaw even looked amazing. Kershaw, he didn't even need to bring his best stuff, but he did. He had eight strikeouts, only one walk. So – this team looked very good. The Dodgers uh, only gave up three runs. Their defense played well, too. Um, they look like they're going to run away with the series, but I trust the Rays to bring it back and keep it close. Yeah, well, first, I'm just going to talk about Tyler Glass now. He's a 6.46 ERA in the postseason, which is terrible, so I'm just going to mention that. This guy is definitely a stud. He has great stuff, but he hasn't really put it together in the playoffs, and he was good in Game 5 against the Yankees, but in Game two or three I forget what it was against the Yankees he let up four runs in five innings so it wasn't that good last night in game one I might put that loss on Kevin Cash because I really I think that he made a big mistake in that fifth inning when the Rays or when the Dodgers were really trying to rally and ended up putting up four runs in that inning and blowing it open to a 6-1 lead he went to Ryan Yarborough which is maybe his fifth best reliever out of his bullpen and you know in that moment in the game when Kevin Cash is a guy that really has gone to his high leverage guys like Nick Anderson, like Peter Fairbanks, Fear Fairbanks, guys like that early in the game. And he just went with Yarbrough. That was a really puzzling move to me, especially with that day off on Thursday. 
So I think that really might have hurt them a lot and cost them that game. And, you know, we'll see how they do the rest of the series. Yeah, me and you were talking about this last night when Yarborough came in, and I was just mentioning to you, and I kind of looked to you in terms of baseball advice and stuff like that. And I was asking you, like, why is this guy coming in? They have better relievers. And uh, I kind of thought that it was because, you know, they were already down by, I believe it was, actually, they were only down by two, or I guess three at that point. They down by three. And I guess I was assuming that they were saving their good arms until it was a closer game later in the series. But they do have an extra game, extra day of rest in between game two and three. So they could have gotten their starters uh, recovered through that. And he didn't technically have any earned runs, but there was, I believe, two guys on base that he let up and let come in. So, it, yeah, it was a very puzzling move for me as well and something that we got to look forward or look at when we're moving forward throughout the rest of the series because if he doesn't go to his top guys, you're, you, don't have, you don't have a chance at all because the race bullpen is one of their strengths. Yeah, and, I mean, I can guarantee tonight, you guys will know this by Friday, but I guarantee the second that Blake Snell is done, he's starting in game two, he will go right to one of his top four relievers so I mean now I just kind of want to talk about some of the keys to the series so I'll talk about the Dodgers first so I think that one thing that is big for them we saw that last night is get to the race starters and don't be loose don't trail in the game before the Rays get to their bullpen which is what they did successfully in game one they got to uh, Tyler Glass now and then they didn't let that big bullpen come in and shut them down and I think the bullpen needs to be better for this team than it has been they look great in the last three games of the NLCS and in game one last night so I think if they can keep that up, that's a huge plus for them. And I think the last one is Cody Bellinger. If he's able to get hot, I really don't know how you stop this this lineup. It's already good, good as deep as it is. But Cody Bellinger has never really been a great postseason player. But in game seven, he had the game-winning home run. And then he had a home run to start it off last night, I think in the fourth inning. That gave them their initial lead. And, I mean, I think if he gets hot, you have him, Mookie Betts, Corey Seager, Max Muncy, Justin Turner, Will Smith and even more players, Kike Hernandez has been stepping up, Chris Taylor, guys like that. This offense is just so deep, and I think even the Rays, as good as their pitching is, it's going to be really hard to stop them. Yeah, you look at this lineup, and Bellinger is the sixth batter in this lineup, and he's probably one of their best hitters. He won MVP last I, I, Yeah, and that's he's normally supposed to be the third or fourth hitter, but that's because they have Turner and Muncie, who are – probably just a small tier below him, but they're very, very good hitters as well. Um, this lineup doesn't have very many holes at all. And even if, when you get to the bottom of the lineup, when I guess you can call that like slightly worse, then you're back at the top and Mookie Betts and Seager and all of them come back up. So it is very hard for these raised pitchers to, I mean, once they get one out or even two outs, I think they have the most um, runs off of two outs in the postseason. And I think they have double. They showed a graphic last night. They have double the two-out runs than the Rays do in the postseason. So they just don't have very many holes in their lineup, and they can keep it going even with two outs, which is very scary. Yeah, so, I mean, they have a great offense, and I really think that is going to be what pushes them over the edge. But some keys for the Rays. So 73% of their runs this postseason coming into the World Series have come via home run, and I don't think that's really sustainable for a whole nother series. And I mean, I think they do what they do. They do it well. They hit home runs and they strike guys out. But I think that if you're relying too much on the home run ball, which is what other teams like the Yankees do, which is really frustrating because when you don't hit those home runs, you're not able to score runs. And I think what the Rays did well in the regular season is they were able to just hit guys in, you know, get singles and doubles with guys on base. And that's how they would score their runs. If they aren't able to do that in this World Series, I don't think that hitting or all these home runs is really sustainable for them. And I think another thing is, Get to your bullpen when, whenever you can, because if you're within, if you're even losing by one or two runs in the sixth inning, you still might have the advantage because of how good that bullpen is. They have, like I mentioned earlier, Nick Anderson, um, Peter Fairbanks. They have Dave Hesio, John Curtis. Those top four guys are all dominant. And I mean, if they're able to get to them, I really don't know if the Dodgers can get to them. It'll be re- really interesting to see those guys against this lineup because I, those are the two teams' biggest strengths. Yeah, so even though game two is going to happen uh, before this is released, let's uh, let's make a few predictions here. So according to what I saw last night, and this, this could be off because, like we mentioned, the Rays didn't go to their bullpen. But I'm going to say that because the Dodgers bats are so power- powerful and uh, I really don't see 
their offense having very many limits. Maybe against this bullpen, they could slow them down. But I think that uh, the Dodgers and Clayton Kershaw in particular, because he's the one that's been struggling in the World Series throughout their time while they've been struggling in the past. But I think that they'll win this series in five games. It could be six if the Rays uh, hit some of those home runs that you were talking about. But from the offense that I saw last night, and uh, what I'm expecting going for the rest of the series, I, I'm taking the Dodgers in five. Yeah, I'm with you. I do think the Dodgers will win. I want to take them in five, but I think there's a reason the Rays had the best record in the AL this year. They went 40 and 20. There's a reason they're in the World Series. This is still a really good team. And I think that, you know, the Dodgers don't have great pitching. So I think that, you know, there will be a game or two where the Rays are really able to get to them and the Dodgers. It, you know, it could be, you know, a really high scoring game and then and the Rays can, you know, the Rays can slug. They, like I said, they do hit a lot of home runs. I just don't think it's sustainable, but there could be a game or two where I think they will end up winning. But, I mean, I think in the end the Dodgers have too much offensive firepower and that they will be able to get to this Rays bullpen and their strong pitching staff. And I think the Dodgers, you know, they've really come close to those rings. They feel like they got robbed by the Astros in 2017 and then they lost to the Red Sox in 2018. I think this is the year they finally do it. And I think that they will win in six games. Yeah. So, uh, obviously, I just mentioned the uh, game we played. Then they have an extra day of rest, so uh, we only have one game released before the podcast is out. So, let's move on. Uh, We just got major breaking news in the NBA, uh, which we thought we weren't going to be talking about for a little bit. But Stan Van Gundy, the former uh, Magic and Pistons coach, is now going to the New Orleans Pelicans. I think that he can aid this team since they're all very young and he's a veteran coach. He has a career record of 523 to 384. Um, He also has two conference finals appearances under his belt and a ton of experience. So I think that this team with Brandon Williams, Zion, I mean, sorry, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, Lonzo Ball, and a few other key pieces that are very young. I think that his experience will really help them and they could possibly really improve. Yeah, I think – I don't really know about this hire. I'm not saying it's bad or good. I think that this is just going to be one that in you know time will tell. You mentioned he made it to two Eastern Conference finals, and they actually made it to the NBA finals in 2009, losing to the Lakers. But with that Orlando team, with Dwight Howard, he had a lot of success. And the key for – one of the reasons that I, I saw that – I think Woj tweeted it, that they really like Van Gundy, is they think that he can really get, bring a good defensive presence to this team, which is something that this Pelicans team lacks. And, you know, we, we know how good this offense can be. You mentioned with Zion, which, with Brandon Ingram, with Lonzo Ball, all those young stars that they have. If they can really turn this team into a good defensive unit, they're going to be really good. And, I, I mean, I'm really excited to see it. I think that th- his four years in Detroit did not go well, obviously. He went 152-176, uh, had a losing record. But he was also, I think, in charge of the president. He was, like, the GM, too, or something like that. So I think that now that he's only the coach of this team, I, I do think it is an interesting hire. And, I mean, I hope it works out because I do like this Pelicans team. Yeah, and, I mean, it's just going to be very interesting to watch. You mentioned the defensive presence. I think that all of the three guys that we both mentioned have the tools to be great defensive players in terms of length and uh, just their skill set. But they obviously haven't been that in their careers, even in college, Both of, or all three of them. And it, it's – it's going to be interesting to watch if he could if he could turn them around and make them a defensive-minded team. Their offense will come. They're very talented in offense, so that'll be a huge plus for them. But it's obviously easier said than done. Yeah. So now we'll move on to one thing we're looking forward to this coming week. Uh, Jake, what what are you looking forward to? So we kind of already talked about it, but I just had a few more points to talk about. I'm looking forward to the race of the NFC East. Uh, it's kind of like when people stop and stare at a car crash or something like tragic. They know it's horrible, but they can't look away out of curiosity. And I think that that's a very good analogy for this divisional race because we all know that they're very bad, and we all know that somebody has to win the division one way or another, but we don't know who, and the curiosity is what keeps us watching. Uh, Thursday Night Football, the Giants are going to play the Eagles, and if the Giants somehow win, uh, which this game will be played before the episode is released, then I don't know who's going to win the division. Right now, Philadelphia is my favorite. The Eagles are 0-2-1 at home, which I mentioned earlier, and this game is a home game. 
So they have to turn that around if they want any shot at all to win the division. And the division games add up and they matter. So this game is huge for both teams. We mentioned earlier that if the Giants were to win, then they're tied for second or they're tied for first place in the division at two and five, which is just unheard of. And uh, I just think that this division is going to be fun to watch draw out because it's going to be fun to watch or it's going to be fun to laugh at and just how historically bad it's going to end up being. Well, first, I think that you took that first line from the office. I don't know if you did, but they definitely did say that in the office. So I, I did like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is going to be fun to watch. Obviously, the game Thursday night and yeah, just overall, it's it's not going to be pretty, but it, it will be something to look forward to as I think this is going to be close to the rest of the season. I think the Washington football team and the Giants will kind of fade away, but this Cowboys and the Eagles team will be around the same wins for most of the season, I think. So I think watching them uh, battle out, battle for, for this division title will be fun to watch. Yeah, so what's one thing you're looking forward to this week? Uh, so we kind of talked about it earlier, but I'm looking forward to the Titans-Steelers matchup this week. Both teams are 5-0. and We talked about how good both of these teams look right now. And, you know, Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill versus Steelers defense is going to be a lot of fun to watch. And honestly, after this week, the winner of this matchup for me might be my favorite to play the Chiefs in the AFC Championship this year because I, agree. I think that they both look so good right now. And it, whoever wins this game, even if it's a close game or not, I think it will you know show who was the best, the second best team in the AFC. It's just going to be a fun game and a lot of fun to watch. And I think it's going to show us a lot about you know how things will play out the rest of the season. Yeah, I mentioned when we were talking about the Browns and the Steelers game, how the or the Steelers defense just sold out, stopped the run, and really focused on that. Baker Mayfield wasn't able to beat them. I think if they had that same game plan, Ryan Tannehill can expose them uh, with A.J. Brown and some of the other weapons that they have. I think he could take advantage of that defense, even though it is very good. I think if they sell out, load the box in order to stop Derrick Henry, and they get burned on the back end with passing. So it is going to be a very fun game to watch, and this is my game another week going forward as well. Yeah, so I think that's all we have for you guys this week. This has been fun. Jake, I hope that you get better soon and, you know, get rid of COVID. But uh, we'll see you guys next week. And once again, thank you for listening. Yeah, thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.